0: That is a good prayer for the new year. Uh, That the Lord would bless us with His Word, that He'd build the church, uh, that we'd be filled with His glory. Uh, There's really nothing else that's going to satisfy our souls. I know there's a lot of things under your tree, my tree, that that you know maybe tempt us to think, oh yeah, that'll do it. But um, man, you know, weekend, week weekend of the new year, we're like, oh, what did I get for Christmas again? Uh, I don't even remember. so uh, so we have God's Word before us to help us. Uh, we've been doing this series during Advent. And I know Advent's, you know, technically over. Um, we've, we've celebrated Christmas, but we're gonna do a little bonus um, sermon in the Advent series. We, we've talked about the Lord's promise, the prophecy, the purpose, the proclamation of the gospel. Um, and this morning, we're gonna look at preparation, right? So we're the hubbub of Christmas is done. The, the busyness, you know, thankfully, you know, it can, can subside. We can rest a little bit now. So what do, we, what do we do now that Christmas is over? And what do we do with this period in between all of this anticipation of the Lord's coming? That, that's what we were looking ahead to remembering the Lord's first advent. What do we do in this time now where we're anticipating his second advent, right? His second coming. Um, What do we do as we wait for Jesus to return? And, you know, we get our answer actually from the Lord himself. Because we saw the the shock and the awe surrounding Christ's birth. We saw adoring uh, shepherds. We saw worshiping kings. We saw Uh, angels from the realms of glory. And so all this fanfare surrounding the first advent of Jesus. And then there's this long period after the birth of Jesus and before his public ministry where Jesus, along with his mother and father, Joseph and Mary, they, they retreat into relative obscurity. An anonymity. We really just don't even have a lot about the childhood and the upbringing of Jesus, even in the Bible. There's this whole gap where we're going, what happened? What was going on in between you know, the birth narratives and, the, and when Jesus becomes this adult and he's preaching? And, and so we really do get a clue for how we live in this in-between time from the life of Christ himself. So I'm gonna ask you to turn to Luke chapter two, and we're gonna look at just uh, a couple of verses that maybe you would be tempted to gloss over, that you know, you're, these look like almost filler in between you know, the important narratives and the stories that, that get our attention. But, but look at Luke chapter two, verses 39 to 40, and let's stand in honor of God's word. And we'll, we'll see here, what do we do as we wait for the Lord to come again? And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Let me pray for us. Father, we do pray that you would uh, teach us and instruct us, comfort us. Uh, show us your promises. Show us Jesus and your favor to us through him. We pray in his name. Amen. Please be seated. Um, Just a couple of verses, it doesn't sound like a lot that's there, but I do think there's some important things for us to note, and I want to begin by this mention of how the the Holy Family, right, Joseph and Mary and Jesus, uh, return from Jerusalem into Galilee and back to their hometown of Nazareth. This is where Joseph and Mary were originally from. And of course, you know, there was the census, and that's what required them to travel down to Bethlehem. And then uh, from Bethlehem, they go to Jerusalem to do what the law requires. And then from Jerusalem, uh, they go to Nazareth. There's a a journey to Egypt uh, that happens somewhere in in there, and we're not exactly sure of the chronology, Uh, but there's actually a lot of moving around uh, for Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus uh, and the child Jesus, as he grows from a, a, an infant to a toddler and into a, a little boy and uh, and it's that period where, where Jesus is growing that's really kind of interesting to us because as I said, there's not a lot in the Bible about that. But we do read in Matthew chapter two about how jesus and and Joseph and Mary end up in Egypt. Uh, they're escaping Herod's persecution, and the angel of the Lord appears. Uh, to Joseph and warns him in a dream uh, to withdraw from the uh, to the region of Galilee uh, to es- to escape this uh, uh, any danger you know resulting from Herod's you know successors being concerned about a, a rival king and Matthew two tells us very similar stuff to what we read in Luke two that he went and lived in the city called Nazareth and so that. What was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. That Jesus would be called a Nazarene. Um, there's there's a fulfillment of prophecy there uh, that we need to note. So there's something. Um, wh- what do we know about Nazareth? There's something very unglorious un- about Nazareth. Uh, it's not like uh, it's not like Bethlehem. It's not like um, Bethlehem, which was this sort of suburb of Jerusalem. Um, Bethlehem was. Uh, sort of known in the prophets as a as a place that, that kings would come from. In Micah chapter 5, there's this prediction uh, from Bethlehem, Ephrathah, uh, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, for from you shall come forth uh, for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. And so Bethlehem has this great reputation among the prophets of the uh, a city where the king would come from, the Messiah would be born there, and, and that's what the priests were telling the, the magi when they were searching for the, the new king. Yeah, it's, he's going to be in Bethlehem. So they knew all about Bethlehem, but Nazareth was different. Yeah, it was sort of predicted in the prophets that, that you know, he would be called a Nazarene, but it was a really obscure reference, to be honest like about a branch, not even the word Nazareth, more of the root word that the word Nazareth comes from. And, uh, and, and so what do we know about Nazareth? Well, it's just not glorious at all. In fact, Nazareth is, is the opposite of glorious. Uh, Nazareth had maybe 500 people in it, you know, in Jesus' lifetime. It's a tiny village, a backwater village, Little village in a, in a community called Galilee that, you know, in, in their day and age uh, would be sort of the equivalent to how a lot of people um, with scorn uh, refer to West Virginia. <laughs> so think of Nazareth as a tiny little holler in the middle of West Virginia, and, and, and you can sort of understand the sentiment. People in Jerusalem would tell jokes about Nazareth like this you know did you hear uh, about the uh, the governor's mansion catching fire in Nazareth burned down almost the whole trailer park all right I know this is this is poor taste right here's another one here's another one how do you know if the couple in line in front of you is from Nazareth they both husband and wife have the tobacco stains you know yes down their shirts uh Just gonna let that one sit there for a little bit, and I'm gonna issue this disclaimer: If you have any hate mail to send me because of these rude jokes, you can actually forward it to Doug Pence, my good friend, who's from West Virginia. He and his family live there, so they're allowed to tell these jokes, right? I, I remember getting, um, getting this like, you know, how how could you be so um, in, in such poor judgment and poor taste to tell all those uh, things about. Irish people, uh, this, this was a, a years ago, I was um, in, a, in a sermon talking about the Irish who's, uh, who were just weird people because their wars are always merry and their songs are always sad, right? Like, whatever. And people are like, oh, you shouldn't say such things about the Irish. And I'm like, my last name is Daly. It's okay. You can make fun of your own people. Um, so anyway, thanks to, to Doug uh, for, for these West Virginia Nazareth jokes. Joseph and Mary were both from Nazareth, and they faced this sentiment everywhere they went. Sort of this people looking down their noses at them, this this attitude of of scorn, this kind of disdain may even explain, I'm not saying this with any degree of certainty, but there's 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 a possibility, right? That is, Joseph and Mary, with their Nazarene accents, their hillbilly accent, their backwater twang, end up in Bethlehem, and why can't they find any room for them? Why can't they get space to, to, to even give birth to, to this woman's child? Well, is it possible, maybe, that the sentiment, the scorn, can, would, would, would lead people to think, well, you know, hey, they're from Nazareth a barn would suit them just fine. And maybe, just maybe, people thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, we'll send the Nazarenes out into the stable. And so now maybe you can understand why one of the disciples reacted the way he did when he first heard as jesus is now an adult and he's beginning his public ministry and he's calling his disciples to himself philip found nathaniel and said to him we found him of whom moses and the law and also the prophets wrote jesus of nazareth the son of joseph so you know philip's real excited and he's telling his brother nathaniel about jesus of nazareth the son of joseph and nathaniel says to philip can anything good come out of Nazareth? Do you understand the sentiment? And Philip said to him, come come and see. Yes, in fact, something good can come out of Nazareth. Now you can understand why when Jesus was crucified, Pontius Pilate went through the trouble of not only, you know, on, on this plaque above the head of Jesus fixed to the cross, not only, you know, sort of making fun of uh, the king of the Jews, right, this crucified, executed king of the Jews, but Pontius Pilate also took the trouble to make sure that he not only specified this is Jesus, the king of the Jews, but he also mentions that this is Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. John 19 tells us that. As if Pilate wanted everyone to know that only redneck kings come from Nazareth. Redneck kings whose only real worth is to be crucified, right? Now you can understand a little bit more of this sentiment. Now you can understand why when God sent... The angel Gabriel to a virgin in Nazareth. People who heard about this would have been absolutely just beyond themselves. Like, what? How? God, God's crazy to do this. But in Luke 1, we're told that in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Nazareth. Seems like just some data, right? Just seems like almost an itinerary in Luke chapter 2, but it's significant. Because Jesus lived in this place of relative uh, simplicity, obscurity, even mockery for almost three decades, almost his entire life. It's a long time to live in a place like that. And he bore the stigma of being a Nazarene, the way people today refer to trailer trash or people from the hollers. So what is, what's your uh, what's your Nazareth? What's your stigma? What's the place that you come from? What's the experience that you've been through or are going through that feels obscure? Uh, It feels like you're spinning your wheels. It feels like nothing good can happen here. It even feels like a, a place of mockery is there a Nazareth in in your own experience that compares to Jesus's experience of coming from Nazareth uh, so maybe for some of you it's this job that you're in that feels like a dead-end job it's worthless it doesn't it's not getting you anywhere you're not advancing instead you feel like you're suffocating instead you're embarrassed to say what you do what your calling is. Maybe it's in an office, maybe it's at a factory, maybe it's at home, I don't know what it is. But people wrestle with that, right? Some people feel like, hey, they've got it made and they've got a great job and their, their chest kind of expands when they tell people what they do and it's bragging rights and they're comparing you know, how you know, prominent they are. And other people don't want to tell you what they do for a living because they feel like it's Nazareth. Or where you went to school, or where you're going to school? You know, does that feel like Nazareth to you? Or what your family's about, right? Like some of you come from really kind of crazy backgrounds, crazy family systems. And you've got some of that crazy family with you this morning. <laughs> don't, look na- don't look beside you. Don't do that. All right? No, no knowing looks. Don't, don't wink. Uh, look, some, some of us come from some really interesting family systems, and it feels like Nazareth. And you wish, you know, that things could be different. You wish for something better. You wish for a different upbringing, a different experience. Um, but listen to what Jesus says about those who are his disciples. Jesus says in Matthew 10, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant to be like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, you know this word for Satan, the accuser, etc., how much more will they malign those of his household? So, if Jesus gets exposed to ignominy and mockery, then how much more should we expect to have similar experiences? if we're truly his disciples. Jesus comes from Nazareth. How much more should we expect to have a Nazareth in our lives? A place that doesn't seem like it makes a lot of sense. A place that seems like maybe, you know, we would would wish for better. We would hope that God would change our circumstance, would change what we're going through. But If Jesus is telling us, no, the the servant is not greater than the master, then maybe we shouldn't disparage those places. Maybe we shouldn't wish them away. In fact, maybe we shouldn't be too quick to pray them away. Maybe we should be asking ourselves, why did God put me here? And what good thing does my heavenly Father have in store for me in my Nazareth? What was God's purpose for Jesus in Nazareth? Luke chapter 2 tells us, right? Verse 40 says, the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So if we ask ourselves, Lord, why do you have me here? This doesn't make sense. This feels uncomfortable. It feels embarrassing. Or, you know, I compare my life with my friends or this person or that person, and they seem like they're doing so much better. Lord, why, right? Um, And as, as we look, maybe reflect back on 2018, maybe 2018 just felt like the year of Nazareth to you. And you don't know what to expect in 2019. I don't want a year of Nazareth. Not another year like that. I don't know. What was God's purpose for Jesus in his Nazareth? The Father's purpose for his son in Nazareth was that he would grow strong and wise. And that he would enjoy his Father's favor. And that is the father's purpose for all of his kids, all of his children, including us. So let's look at how Jesus became strong, right? So obviously there's the sense in which Jesus grew strong physically. Um, He grew from a toddler into a boy and from a boy into a teen and from a teen into a man, these, you know, two and a half decades or so that he lived in Nazareth. But why tell us the obvious? I mean, is that all Luke is, is telling us, that Jesus grew strong, you know, um, sort of physically? Uh, doesn't everybody grow up? Isn't that sort of the norm? Uh, why point out what people expect unless Luke wants us to think about strength in other categories as well? Like the fact that Jesus grew strong internally? Like his soul grew strong like he grew strong in the Lord. Maybe that's, what we're, maybe that's what Luke wants us to take away from this. And this is what the Old Testament tells us in Zechariah 10, that God will make us strong in the Lord and they shall walk in his name, declares the Lord. And then Paul tells us in Ephesians, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So, so what if in your Nazareth and in my Nazareth, God's plan and purpose for us is to grow strong in him? Strong in the Lord. God wants us to have that kind of strength. Well, what, what kind of strength is that? We hear this expression, we listen to it, we hear it in songs, etc., but what does it mean to be strong in the Lord? Uh, there's a few things here. Strong in faith, uh, strong in courage, strong against temptation, strong for others are, are at least a few things that I think are worth noting. So let's start with strong in faith, right? Someone who's strong in, in the faith knows and is sure that God is real and that the gospel is the most important thing that's ever happened to him or her. That's what it means to be strong in the faith, to to be assured of God's love for you, to know the reality of that love and to really believe that God is for you, right? That he's aligned with you. And so these people who are strong in the faith really think that God is eager to bless them. They're not wondering, I don't know. I don't know if God's for me or not. Instead, they are rock solid on that fact. And they aren't defensive. And they're not self-righteous because they rejoice in the fact that God is their Father, and that He's promised to do them good, and He's never going to stop doing good to them. He covers them with His goodness. And so they're not quick-tempered. They're not, you know, trying to get their identity from other people. They're not constantly pandering for compliments. And I mean, can you imagine Jesus living that kind of life? Oh, you know, uh, tell me how good I am again. Tell me again. Tell me how amazing that miracle was, right? Like, that's just not his style. Because his soul was strong. And I want to have a strong soul. And I imagine you want to have a strong soul. And So as we think about the new year and as we think about the places that feel like Nazareth to us, what if God's purpose in those places was for us to grow strong in the faith? And strong in courage. Uh, The Proverbs, Proverbs 8, I I love um, uh, this one verse. It says that the wicked flee, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as strong as a lion, right? That's this whole um, reality that when we Arresting in the rightness, the righteousness that is our gift to us from God through the gospel. That means that we don't have to go looking for that approval from everybody else around us. We don't have to win every argument. We don't have to prove ourselves time and time again to everybody else and living this exhausting treadmill of self righteousness. Instead, we get courage to act like lions to tell the truth with love and to act on our convictions instead of constantly being afraid of what people think of us all the time. And that's what increases our courage. That's what makes us bold. And that's a kind of strength that I believe uh, can happen to us when we're growing in the gospel, when we're living in these places that feel like Nazareth to us, but that we're but that we're soaking in the gospel and we're growing in that kind of courage. And, you know, another kind of strength here is becoming strong against temptation, right? Do you understand that Jesus was tempted, right? He wasn't immune from temptation. In fact, Hebrews tells us that he was tempted in every way, just like we were, yet was without sin, yet he was strong against that temptation. And wouldn't it be wonderful in 2019 to embrace these places that feel like Nazareth to us and, and determine by God's grace to grow stronger, right? Not perfect, that's, that's for glory. None of us is gonna become sinless south of heaven, but we can sin less often. I mean, imagine a... <laughs> Imagine a, a, a track runner, you know, if any of you ran track in high school, or maybe you're a high school student, you run track, and you, you do that loop around that, that quarter-mile track again and again and again. Maybe you're doing a five-mile race or something, and you just run in that loop. Imagine the guy or the girl in the lane next to you who, ev- and every time you go around the third turn, he trips. Every single loop. Every single time. Wouldn't that... Get kind of like if you're the runner, wouldn't you be irritated man third third uh, corner, here I go again, boom and if you're hung up and and having trouble with sort of this habitual sin pattern in your life, this habitual temptation, then every time it comes in your face you fall and I don't know if it's um, food, I don't know if it's pornography, I don't know if it's losing your temper, I don't know if it's an addiction, Uh, I don't know, you know, what it might be in in your life, but aren't you tired of falling on your face every time you round the third turn? And what would it look like for you to determine, I mean, determine, I'm going to build some spiritual muscle. And I'm going to pivot. I'm going to do something different and I'm going I'm to get better. I'm going to get stronger against this particular temptation. And what if your Nazareth was the perfect place for you to grow in that kind of strength? And maybe a fourth kind of strength to talk about is becoming strong for those around you. Maybe, maybe the greatest strength strategy any of us could have if especially in the face of persistent temptation the places where where, where maybe you know you're falling consistently you've been trying and and I get it right you, you you've tried everything and you you, you keep falling um, but sometimes what we forget to try is not succeeding for ourselves so that I can feel better about my self-discipline so that I can feel better about my resistance to temptation but but what if instead we develop a strategy of being strong for others? To where I want to beat this. I want to get better at this. I want to grow more courageous. I want to grow uh, stronger in my faith, not for myself, but for those around me. So that I could be a greater blessing to my family, to my friends, to my neighbors, to my coworkers, to my church. Isn't that why God put us here? To be a blessing as he blesses us, that we would receive life from him. And because our life comes from him, we've got resources overflowing in us so that we're not in this position where we're trying to suck life from other people. Instead, we're life-giving and that we become strong for those around us. The stronger Jesus grew, the more people sensed God was with him, the more life they got uh, from him. And there's this mystery, right? Like this whole idea that Jesus, we, we only see him in his adult perfected state. Um, it's hard to imagine him growing and developing, and yet it's it's true. And, and we hear this expression from Luke that Jesus grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. I mean, that's... Uh, filled with wisdom, is remarkable. This is the omniscient God who who in the mystery of the incarnation, the infinite God puts on finite flesh and the one who knows all things embodies a human mind that discovers new things. How does that work? Rather than trying to come up with some really lame uh, explanation for that, rather than trying to, to work out that mystery, I think maybe we should just marvel at it uh, and give thanks for it. And consider how is again Jesus showing us that a servant is not greater than his master? In our own experience of Nazareth, how does God want us to grow in wisdom? How can we be filled with wisdom? Wisdom is, is really the art of living well. Um, you, know, you can look at God's book of, of Proverbs as the first uh, or the original you know, life hack manual. You could look at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount as the original TED Talks. Right? So wisdom comes from the Lord. And wisdom, you know, if we're going to grow and be filled with wisdom, if we're going to take this cue from Jesus uh, we need to realize that wisdom comes from uh, without. It's it's from outside of us. We can't develop this in isolation. And so what we need are God's resources. Wisdom comes from God's Word. Uh, read a few of the Proverbs that are helpful to us here. The Lord gives wisdom, right? From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. That's from Proverbs chapter 2. Uh, I want to let you know that we're starting a brand new Bible reading schedule coming uh, um, starting January 1st. It's so In your bulletin, uh, there's an outline. And on the outline, uh, on the back of the outline, is a weekly devotional guide. There's prayer um, suggestions, prayer recommendations on how you can pray each day. Each day, uh, if you haven't seen this before, has a Bible reading schedule. And so we're resetting January 1. And if it hasn't been your practice to read the Bible regularly, you will not grow in wisdom. I'm just going to tell you the truth. You cannot grow in wisdom if you're not reading God's Word. If you don't know it, then you're lacking wisdom. Uh, You might have some street smarts, good for you. God in His grace and favor can still bless you with some of that. But you're depriving yourself of really the the gold and the riches that God wants to give us uh, in His Word. So Read his word, make it a goal to read it regularly in 2019. So wisdom comes from God's word, and wisdom comes from worship. Again, the Proverbs tell us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fearing him, honoring him, adoring him. Uh, not cowering uh, and trying to get away from him, but the, the, the healthy kind of fear. that realizes he is God. I am not. God is God and he's on his throne, and we need to recognize that day in, day out, week in, week out. How would it, What would it look like uh, for you? I know some of you are, uh, Sunday is your thing, and you're here every Sunday. Uh, some of you, if you're still growing as a disciple, if you're still trying to figure out how, how do I get closer to Jesus, uh, regular worship is a key ingredient in that. Weekly worship, right? I mean, that's God's design, One this one day in seven, the Sabbath principle. And so... I'm going to challenge you in January. Uh, you're here today, so you, you get like a bonus Sunday. Uh, come every single Sunday in January. Make it, a, make it a commitment, not just a, well, I'll see how if it, have, it works out. I might have my exercise schedule. I might have some travel plans. I might have work, you know, and so on. What if you were to make worship a priority and just see if you feel closer to Jesus after worshiping regularly, making that a commitment. It's not a box to check to say, hey, look at my gold star, and I worshiped every single week, and God's now proud of me. All right, is he happy with you? Yes. But you don't get to score points. It's not a self-righteous exercise. It's a desire to have more of Jesus, to get more grace, to get more wisdom. Uh, And lastly, wisdom comes from multiple perspectives too, right? So, Another proverb, another you know, source of wisdom, the one who states his case first seems right. I'm the one who always states my case first because it's my case and I know it's best. And I always seem right until, as Proverbs 18 tells me, until the other comes and examines him. And we need multiple perspectives. We need community. We need people whom God has given his spirit to them as much as he's given it to us. And if I don't benefit, if I'm not uh, blessing myself by being surrounded by other people who can pour into me and give me their, their wisdom, their insight, then I'm depriving myself of God's wisdom. So how do we become filled with wisdom, right? From his word, from worship, and from being in community, uh, from having multiple perspectives. All of this, as, uh, as Luke's telling us, is how Jesus grew strong and he became filled with wisdom. And then Luke wraps up and he says, and the favor of God was upon him. The favor of God was upon Jesus. If you've been hanging out in Nazareth, your own version of Nazareth, I know it can feel hard to to sense God's favor. I mean, the fact that you're you're in this place where you're suffering, the fact that you're in this place where there's scorn in your life, the fact that you're in this place where it's difficult, the fact that you're in this place where it's very unglorious, almost by default means that we question whether or not we have God's favor because we're in that place. But God's favor isn't circumstantial. It's eternal. How do you know if you have God's favor? What, what, what do you need to do to get it? And how, how will you have his favor, not just now, but when he returns? Because we're talking about this in between time and comparing our lives to Jesus' life where there was a lot of glory when he was born, and then there was a lot of glory in the last three years of his life, and then there was this long, drawn-out trough. You know, where we just don't know much about his life at all because there just wasn't a lot going on that the world would celebrate, that the world would recognize, that we would think is glorious, except for what God was doing to grow him in wisdom and strength and in favor with God. What does it mean to have God's favor? Um, it, it, it means the same thing that, uh, that it would mean for anybody to give you his or her favor, right? It means the same thing that, that if I ask you to do me a favor, it means that I'm asking you to bless me. I'm asking you to do something kind and compassionate for me. You call in a favor, it means you're sort of appealing to goodwill, right? They're, they're, uh, will you help me? And for us to have God's favor means that God is willing to help us. He's willing to bless us. He's being kind and compassionate to us. So how did God bless us? And how how did God go out of his way to show us kindness? It's no mystery. It's the thing we celebrate every single week here as we worship. It's Jesus being willing to lay down his life for us, to to deliver us from the judgment that our sin deserves and instead to give us pro bono without without us earning it in any way, not because of good behavior, not because we, we nailed it in 2018, but simply because God in his kindness gives us Jesus. He gave us his son And his son went to a cross to take away the curse for my sin and for your sin and to give us God's favor. So to put it in in Paul's language, uh, he he told the Romans, he wrote a letter to the church in Rome, and he said, look, let's let's just make one thing perfectly clear. If God would not spare his own son, if he would... If he would be that favorable toward us, that he would not spare his own son, but would give him up for us all, then then how will he not also, along with Jesus, be favorable to us in every other way? I mean, to paraphrase. So, you know, The cross is the evidence of God's favor. And if that hasn't been crystal clear to you yet, I pray that this is the morning that those dots get connected in your heart, that the Holy Spirit helps you see that image. That Jesus on a cross is the evidence of God's favor, and he can't do anything more to prove his favor to us than to give us his son. There's nothing greater. We couldn't ask for anything higher or bigger or more expensive or more worthy, worth more than for him to give us his son. And that's exactly what he did. And so, brothers and sisters, friends, if you're wondering how do I experience God's favor, you have to look to the cross first. Believe that his son is there for you that the Father in heaven gave his Son for you? And if he gave his Son for you, how, will, how, how can you imagine that he would ever withhold something good for you? And if he would bless us and show us his favor, even when we were his enemies, before he had reconciled us to himself, before we had repented of our sins and asked for his forgiveness, and he forgives us and blesses us, and he says, it's all in the past, it's covered, it's gone, Jesus paid that price, and you're mine now. So do God a favor, as if if God ever needed anything from us. But do him a favor and see his son as the evidence of his favor to you. And that's going to completely change your perspective on Nazareth, on why he has you in this place. And we all have our Nazareth. It may be in the past, it may be in the present, it might be in your future. But when you're in Nazareth, don't ever forget the favor of God is on you if you have seen his favor in Jesus. And it may be that in that place, that place is the perfect incubator, the perfect greenhouse, the most pleasing environment for you to grow strong in the Lord. Nobody ever got stronger on a cruise ship. The places where we grow are the places that test our strength and build spiritual muscle. And maybe, maybe God's got you in that place exactly for that purpose, to fill you with wisdom and to remind you of his favor. I'm going to, I'd be the first to pray with you if you're struggling with health, if you're struggling with hardship, if there are relationships that are breaking down in your life, if finances are falling apart, if there are all these things that feel like, where's the glory? Where's the favor? I don't get it. I don't feel it. I'll be the first to pray with you for God to minister to you and to remove those difficult and painful circumstances. But if it's his desire to keep you there longer, don't miss the reality of his favor. He can still bless you despite those circumstances. just like he blessed his son in Nazareth. Let me pray for us. Father, would you um, please remind us of your goodness? Uh, Forgive us for forgetting your favor, uh, the evidence of that favor on a cross, uh, the empty tomb guaranteeing our, our victory with Jesus as we wait for his return. We can be sure, that we have your favor by trusting in him. And I pray for any here who, who are just now realizing that. Please confirm in their heart, confirm in their soul the, uh, the, the acceptance, the approval of God over them uh, by virtue of Jesus. And help us uh, not to complain about our Nazareth, but to even give you thanks for the good things that you are doing in our lives when, the, when we are in circumstances that are difficult. We do pray uh, for those who are in pain, and we do pray for those uh, who do feel uh, the pinch of their circumstances. Please deliver them, and please bring them out of what is uh, painful and harmful. But Lord, don't let us miss uh, the good things that you want to do, the blessings and the gifts you want to give us of growing stronger, being filled with wisdom, and enjoying your favor in the meantime and we pray this in Jesus name Jesus the Nazarene amen